This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. I am here, fully experiencing my body. Yes, she read. I am taking responsibility for my life. Yes. Valeria interviews Stephanie Raraschuk. She is the author of over 20 books, including the multi-award-winning memoir, An Accidental Awakening. It's not about yoga, it's about family. She's written about everything from the chakras and Ayurveda to motherhood and dream yoga. Stephanie coaches heart-centered clients through writing and publishing their books, getting their message into the world. Meet Stephanie at stephanierarashuk.com and stephanierarashuk.ca. Here's the interview with Stephanie Rarashuk. In your own words, who am I speaking with today? <laughs> Hi, I'm Stephanie Rohercheck. I'm an author, a writer, a spiritual seeker, sometimes a teacher, Canadian, and a mom of two. What is life to you? Oh, that's a good question. I would say that answer varies from day to day. Um, some days life is just pure exploration and creativity and um, experiencing everything you can experience through all the senses. And then other days, life is, it's simple. It's meant to be observed and witnessed and, and sat with, just sat with and enjoyed, much like the breath what do you think is the opposite of life? Oh, yeah. Well, that, uh, the obvious would seem like death is the opposite of life. Um, hmm, mm-hmm, but I don't think so because mm, in death we're still living. We're still, that consciousness is carried on. What is the opposite of life? Hmm. <laughs> I could ponder that for days. I think you've given me a new a new meditation, um, a new contemplation to take through my days. The opposite of life. I don't believe it's death, but I guess that would be the obvious. We're, we're no longer living uh, in this world with these senses. What is the purpose of the human experience? Oh, there's another one that varies from day to day. If you listen to some of the great teachers and masters, the purpose of the human experience is existence and awareness 
and being in the present moment. I think the witness really comes up. And then we can expand that entire range of purpose, right? What is the purpose of human experience? Again, to to really feel the full range of sensory experiences and emotions um, in an observant way to, I mean, you could say to, to let our karma play out and not create any more. <laughs> to, for me, I think the human experience is um, to recognize our interconnectedness, our oneness, to, to really see everything in us and us and everything and everyone. At this time, what is the purpose of your life? At this particular moment in time, the purpose of my life is twofold. There's um, an internal and an external purpose that are at play. And the internal purpose is always um, recognizing what's arising, being with what's arising, uh, noticing my patterning and conditioning and befriending it and being open to other perspectives and a deepening of my own awareness of myself and life and and the interconnectedness of life. The purpose of my life uh, externally right now is one of the writer. Um, I'm a mom of two amazing teens, so there's dharma, there's purpose there. Um, I write, I'm a, a bit of a messenger and uh, I agreed to be that messenger years ago. So the muse shows up in unexpected ways. And I commit to put my bum in my chair at my writing desk. And I put those messages to paper and get them out into the world. So my external purpose right now is that of writer and author. What are some of the greatest misconceptions about happiness, in your opinion? Hmm... The greatest misconceptions about happiness. Well, I mean, my practice for the past eight, nine, ten years, and it's a practice, it's not always easy, is that happiness comes from within. You generate happiness. So I think misconceptions about happiness is that we need to get somewhere or something or something has to be attained in order for us to be happy. Um, happiness is sort of always out of reach or the conditions to happiness have to be present in order for us to experience happiness. So I think happiness is conjured and in that way, we're empowered. We're empowered to create our day every day. What do you love most about being in a human body? <laughs> what do I love most? Um, that, <laughs> that's almost a trick question. So in my books, I've written, I have a series of three um, memoirs, self-help spiritual memoirs, uh, An Accidental Awakening. It's not about yoga, it's about family is the first of my memoirs. And it's the one I, I, I really invested a lot of myself in. It took me over 10 years of writing that journey. And it's won three awards, so I'm, I'm very grateful for that. It's the story of a year I spent in yoga um, when a spinal injury combined with motherhood kind of threw me um, really into a place I didn't recognize myself anymore. So 
What do I love most about being in a human body? I have been challenged for over 10 years now with spinal injuries. I would say going on closer to 20 years. I've had a couple spinal injuries. I've had two traumatic brain injuries. Uh, I have an autoimmune issue that I wrote a book on um, for women. So what do I love most about being in a human body? Every day, I'm grateful that I can move it, that, that it moves. And through challenges and, and illness and dis-ease, I, I learn what my body needs. My body teaches me to slow down. My body shows me it can be so strong and intuitive and intelligent and self-healing if I only work with it. My body shows me limitations and it shows me where my mind or my ego is pushing it into places it, it doesn't want to go. And it also shows me where my beliefs are such that, you know, maybe I'm afraid to make my body go somewhere. And my body says, no, no, I'm strong enough. I'm, I'm good. We've got this. So uh, what I love most about being in a human body is this dance every day, this dance I can touch and I can move and I can taste and I can hear and and it's a wonderful sensory experience this life on planet earth what is healing to you mm, yeah that's changed for me over the years you know uh, 10 years ago maybe 15 when I was so gung-ho I can heal myself and um <laughs> what about a different answer for that Healing to me, I mean, we talk about healing as the absence of dis-ease. And, and I think that's very true. It doesn't, however, have to be the, the dis-ease in the body. You know, the body ages. It's, um, it's a finite thing. It comes from this planet and it will return to this planet. I think the absence of dis-ease in the mind um, for me has become what healing is, that even if I didn't have a good sleep and even if there's pain in my body, I can smile and I can conjure happiness and I can share a kind word with someone and I can feel love and gratitude for life. So to be able to get to that place, um, regardless of the circumstances that are happening, the conditions around me, to me that's healing. What is the meaning of freedom to you? What is to be free? Oh, freedom's something I that's I have a lot of fives in my numerology. So freedom, freedom to me is kind of the uh, that's the number one thing I go after. Um, you know, there's a there's a lot of goals. My my ego and my will um, try to to facilitate, but for me, it's always freedom. It's always freedom, and freedom is that I can move with whatever the energy is today. I like to be in flow and it's not in, you know, kind of like the state of bliss where everything's easy. It's not that kind of, you know, we get into states of flow, creative flow when we're writing and um, you kind of lose yourself in pockets of time. It's, it's not that, it's that I can wake up in the morning and move with the energies that meet me today. Right? I'm not, I haven't overscheduled myself and my mind's not so busy thinking about everything that I don't see that leaf that's falling from the tree in the beautiful autumn wind or the snow that's gently touching down or the smell of the rain. Um, that's freedom to me is I'm, I'm 
in the energy of the moment. At this time, what is the world's greatest need? And also, do you have a vision for a new reality? Oof. The world's greatest need. Well, all we need is love. So we can say love um, and, and love in action. I think, you know, there's a time for meditation. There's always a time for meditation. And there's time for action. So the world's greatest need is love in action. We have to practice it every day, every day where, you know, that old saying, it's be kind, it's always possible. Um, We have to be moving, living, breathing ambassadors of love in action because that will become contagious. That will become contagious. Just like, you know, I can't go walking. I love to walk around my neighborhood in the coulee and out in nature. I can't pass somebody without smiling at them. And I always observe how some people immediately smile back and, and some people struggle with it. But to me, that just on my walks, there's 20, 30, 40 um, opportunities for love and action. And that smile can become contagious and we can start to pass things on. So I would say the world's greatest need is love and action. Um, And there's so many ways and we will all bring that in our own unique contribution. Do I have a vision for a new reality? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, yes, I do. Um, uh, I've had the great fortune to to, uh, study with some lovely Tibetan Buddhist teachers and there was um, a particular uh, wisdom, uh, enlightened female in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition named Yeshe Sogyal. And Yeshe Sogyal talked about the palace, that we live in the palace. And in this palace, we are all wisdom beings. And every sound is mantra. And I often conjure the palace when I'm out and about in the grocery store. Every sound is mantra. And every person around me is a wisdom being. And we are already in the palace. So that's, that's my vision for a new reality. Can we all can we all acknowledge that we live in the palace, all wisdom beings here and all surrounded by mantra? What is your understanding and idea of love? Mm. So love, love has so many different forms, right? We have the romantic love. I'm a mom, so I have, you know, a mother's love. And, and then there's love that's deep compassion, So I think love is flexible and mobile and enduring and transformative and encompasses a range of, I think, more words than we can use to describe it. The deepest understanding of love for me is in those moments of gratitude, there's a chapter in An Accidental Awakening. Um, it's, quite, it's quite a funny book because I'm very honest in it. <laughs> I'm, I'm angry through a lot of that book. So, you know, it's not all, all fluffy kittens and, and rainbows and unicorns. Um, it, it's a true account of my struggles. And there's uh, a point where we're at third chakra retreat. So 
for a year, we met a group of strangers, met every 40 days in a cabin out in the, in the mountains. And uh, we would move through a different chakra over the course of this year. And, you know, we take those practices home and try to bring them. I'd try to bring them into life as a mom and a wife. And um, we went away for a weekend. Our group went for a third chakra retreat, fire retreat. We did all sorts of crazy things. We were walking on hot coals. I mean, it was it was absolutely pushed all of my buttons and boundaries. And I learned so much that weekend. But there was um, a labyrinth that we were walking. And it was my first time walking a labyrinth. And it was it was really beautiful. I mean, it was it was carved into the mud on the bank of a river in British Columbia. And we were just surrounded by mountains. And but it was a scorching hot day. And I'd driven three hours to get up there. And it just felt like we were racing the whole time. It was a true fire retreat. I was pretty hot under the collar. And so I'm in this labyrinth and I'm angry and I'm sweaty and I'm hot and I wanted my water. And now we have to slow right down. And there's people ahead of me. And I can't go at my pace. I have to move at their pace. And my mind, I'm noticing all of these comments that my mind is making. And I'm just want to get to the center. Can we just get to the center? Because in my mind, that's the payoff. There's an altar in the center. And I got to the altar, and we were supposed to bring an item to leave at this altar. And I'm looking at all of these beautiful and such unique individual expressions of what each person before me has left that really captures something of importance to them, something that means love to them. And it suddenly hits me that I've forgotten my item because it was such a whirlwind to get there. I'd left my item in the trunk up by my cabin and I was standing at the center. And I don't know what hit me. I guess reverence. And I dropped to my knees and I poured out tears. And I remember asking myself, am I sad? I don't think I'm sad. What am I feeling? And it was the most overwhelming feeling of gratitude. Gratitude. When I finally put my finger on it, I went, oh, this is gratitude. It was beautiful. So for me, love is very much entwined with the feeling I had at the center of the labyrinth that day, that overwhelming, heart-bursting, beautiful tears of gratitude. What is inner peace to you? Hmm, inner peace. So inner peace, that one's pretty easy because um, it's something I'm, <laughs> I work with every day is allowing my mind to be as busy as it needs to be, allowing those thoughts to come and go like clouds and to recognize that that is the nature of mind, that people around me are busy, that there's things to do, stuff's coming and going, but it's not taking me offside every second of the day. So I can watch it, I can move with it, and I'm aware That's not me. What, where, and who is God to you? Ooh, good one. You know, um, 
in an accidental awakening, I mentioned how at age 13, I grew up in the country looking at the northern lights out my bedroom window every night. And at age 13, I had this tiny little Bible tucked in my closet that was from my christening. We hadn't gone to church since I was five years old. And I had a lot of questions. I had a lot of questions and I wanted answers. And I was out in the middle of, you know, the farm, a couple horses, lots of cats running around, whatever dogs we had at the time. And nobody seemed to have these answers. So I read the Bible cover to cover and I was sure I was going to find the answers in there. And I didn't. I didn't. I learned a whole bunch. I gathered a bunch of information. I remember thinking Psalm 23 was quite nice. and But I remember thinking, well, that didn't give me any more understanding than I had before. And it was because I wanted to experience something. I needed to feel something in my bones. But I will tell you what I do remember on the farm at 13 is walking across the the freshly cultivated field, the mounds of dirt. It's a bit of a struggle if you've ever walked through a freshly cultivated field to get to a great big flat top rock in the tree line and lay on it on my back and listen to the wind in the trees, listen to the birds. It was riding my snowmobile out into the middle of a field on a full moon, killing the engine and the lights, and then laying with my face up to the stars in the quiet, insulated winter snow. It was taking my skates out onto the frozen pond, and there's not a sound. And so for me, I realized I went looking for God in that Bible. I went looking for spirit. I went looking for source. I went looking for connection. I went looking for my origins. And I was finding that Every time I went out into nature, every time I went into nature, nature just embraced me and said, you and I are connected and listen, listen to this. This is magic. So I think even in all my studies over the last 20 years, that is still my greatest connection to to God, to source, to spirit, to Buddha, is being in nature. What is to be spiritual? And what is spirituality? Hmm. Yes. Um, (laughs) These are such good questions. So I did, I wrote a book called Householder Yogini, um, Practices and Journaling Exercises for Women Who Live at the Intersection of spirituality and family. So if I wrote a book, I better know what spirituality is. Um, and no, I don't think anyone can, you know, these, these are things we can't define. We don't often have the words for it. To me, spirituality is, I mean, it's, it's personal to everyone. It's an individual process. It's a quieting, you know, it's a quieting of the noise and the mind so that we can deepen our connection to what is source for us, what is a source of wisdom for us, what is a source of nourishment for us, what brings us in touch with, you know, we've we've already talked about these questions, what brings us in touch with love and gratitude and compassion and interconnectedness. I think that, and that is, that will be unique to each person, but to me, that's spirituality. And then, of course, we put that into action. 
How do you define success? What is to be successful to you? Oh, tricky one, because in the West, our egos love, we love to chew on success, don't we? Um, hmm. To me, success is living in harmony and alignment. So, like I talked about before, getting up and being able to flow with the energy of the day, right? My son pops by, he's moved out now to university, he pops by for a surprise visit, I, you know, to be able to say, of course I can put down what I'm doing. Yes, I have time for you. Come on in. Let's have lunch. What What's up in your young life? Um, that's success for me, that that freedom, love in action, having the the time and the space and the place and the people to enjoy this life with. That's That's success. So why did you choose to do what you do? So I didn't really choose. I mean, I guess we can say we always choose everything, but I, I didn't consciously choose what I do. It, I always say it chose me. I was a personal trainer. I was an athlete, competitive athlete from the age of 12. Um, I'd been to school a couple times. I studied chemical technology. I'd studied cinema, television, stage, and radio in broadcast news. And uh, I'd been in real estate, sales, oil and gas marketing, you know, those fives, those fives in my numerology, lots of change and freedom and movement. Um, But one thing that I loved was movement. I loved sports. I Even when I was doing my own fitness, I took courses so that I could better understand the physiology and how I could train my body and what it needed. And um, I was tired of taking advice from, you know, random people at the gym. I thought, no, no, I want, I want an understanding of this. And I was so lit up that I would talk about it all the time, you know, health and wellness, health and wellness, health and wellness. And then I just fell into personal training. And I thought that was it for me. I mean, really, I loved it. I worked with people who you know, had health and fitness goals. I worked with people who had serious high blood pressure issues, who recovered from heart surgery. Um, Just, I loved my clients and I loved my work and I thought I'd do it till I was 90. And then the first spinal injury came along and said, nope, we're done that. And then came my exploration into yoga and Reiki and energy medicine and Qigong and um, all of the alternative complementary alternative medicines, and I started teaching yoga. And I thought, okay, this, this, here, this is wonderful. Now I've really found it. And then I had my second spinal injury, and that was my cervical spine. And uh, that was no more asana. So my yoga practice became living yoga. And I had sat on the couch for about three months in excruciating pain. I wasn't sleeping at all. Um, I could barely get dressed to go pick up my daughter from school. I was just really in so much discomfort and a lot of depression and, you know, accompanying this lack of sleep and, and inability to move and so much pain. And I think I'd been three months into watching Hallmark movies on the Women's Network when a thought occurred to me. I might always be in this level of pain. This, this might be it for me. I might not heal from this one. And I thought, then let's just get on with it. Let's just do some of the things we want to do. Now, movement, was that wasn't going to happen. I wasn't going back into the gym anytime soon or on my yoga mat. 
But I'd been journaling a lot since my yoga exploration, my year in yoga, and that year had been so transformative to me. And I finally thought, let's write that book. I can sit and write. And the interesting thing was, I remember one day being so lost, I clearly must have been in the creative flow state. I'd been so lost in writing that when I'd finished and closed my laptop, I suddenly realized I had no pain. And I I hadn't even thought about the pain the whole time I was writing. And so this strange phenomenon started to happen for me that the more I was writing, the less pain I was in. And so all of this movement of energy out of my physical body and onto the page became incredibly therapeutic for me. And then, of course, everything I was sharing were healing modalities for others. So it just became this love in action, this win-win for me. So writing has definitely, definitely chosen me. How did you become a writer? (laughs) So that's pretty much how I became a writer. Now, I writing is something I've done since I was young. Um, it wasn't something I ever intended to do. It's just something I did when I had time. I was always journaling. I think I wrote a whole contemplation on you know Jupiter once being a, a sun, and I, I love to contemplate the universe. And I was always jotting things down, writing poems. I would have poems in my dreams, and I jot them down in the dark next to my bed. And then I'd wake up in the morning and try to figure out what I'd written and finish the poem. Um, I'd run a, won a couple essay contests when I was younger. Uh, I think I'd won something at the, the small Red Deer Fair one year after my grandmother told me to enter a poem. So writing has always been a part of me. I think I just didn't understand that it was something I would do with my life. It was something I did to understand life. And now it's something that I do with my life. What was the inspiration, intention, and purpose of writing your book? The inspiration. So the spinal injury definitely had me start writing. But, you know, I was, as I said, when I started my year in yoga that I wrote about in An Accidental Awakening... I would find myself, you know, I practiced every day. I was on my mats. We'd have root chakra yoga practices and we'd do that for 40 days. And then we'd meet and do sacral chakra. And then I'd go home and I'd have my sacral chakra practices. So, you know, on my mat or honestly my living room carpet sometimes was my mat, I would get into my poses and, and, you know, the kids would be napping or at school and I would go into my contemplations around that chakra. And I would always end up dropping to the floor and jotting down notes there were messages just that seemed to be dislodging from my joints or seeping from my bones, and I would capture them in the pages of my journal. And those became inspiration for not only that first book, but then I wrote Awakening on Purpose. <laughs> and then I wrote, uh, woke Waking the Dreamer. So there's, um, there's three books in that series. And then Householder Yogini came along, and I wrote... Um, Nourish, an Ayurveda-inspired 21-day detox when I was doing my studies in Ayurveda. So every time I would learn something and it would light me up and nourish me, I would want to spread that and you know be that messenger and, and agree to show up for the muse and share that with others. Talk to me for a moment about the services you offer. Mm-hmm. So part of my numerology fives. (laughs) 
I'm I'm always offering different things. One of the things I do is uh, I work with writers in helping them get their books into the world. I help with um, the self-publishing process. I am an indie author. Um, part of that came from my children's book series was actually the first I published because I was nervous about publishing my memoir. I was like, oh my goodness, I'm going to put all of my vulnerable um, pieces out into the world. So I started with a cute children's book story and I wanted to donate um, the profits. I wanted to have a tree planted for every print copy sold of the book. And at that time, it was to, it cost me $2 to have a company plant a tree. And I knew there was just, there was no way that was going to work with traditional publishing. So I decided to independently publish that. And once I got into indie publishing, I thought, this is fantastic. Like what, what an incredible, a steep, 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 steep learning curve. But once you've got it, you're good. And so what I found was I, again, got excited about it, started talking about it. And then, you know, people were coming to me saying, can you help me um, launch my book? I had therapists coming and asking if I could give them coaching advice on writing and publishing. I had um, one of our health food store owners here. He has a very successful health food store and, and a great hub. He just has a wonderful community. And he wanted to do his um, elixirs cookbook and recipe book and asked if I'd help him do his crowdfunding campaign and walk him through that. So um, I spend, I would say, in terms of services, it would be coaching, writing, and coaching folks in getting their messages. People have great stories. And traditional publishing, is it's shrinking, right? There's just... If we all wait for traditional publishing, the world's going to miss some really, really great stories and some incredible wisdom that people are walking around with in their back pockets. So I'd love to help um, coach folks in getting that out into the world. Where can we find more information about you, your work, products, services, and future projects? Mm -hmm. So I have, when I worked with a writing coach years and years ago, she said, you have to change your last name or come up with a different writing name because no one can spell or pronounce your last name. And that's true. However, <laughs> write it down because I am the only Stephanie Rehercheck. So when you do manage to pop me into Google search, I, I'm the only one coming up and I will come up everywhere. So I do have a website, stephanierehercheck.ca. I also have stephanierehercheck.com and it's H-R-E-H-I-R-C-H-U-K, Rehercheck. Um so you can find me through websites. I'm all over Amazon worldwide. My books are available um, through Ingrams. So the distributor will put them all over the world at all your favorite online booksellers. And you can find me through my website. I'm also on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. And believe it or not, I even did a little stint on TikTok. So you can find me at any of those places as well. We are almost at the end of our conversation, and I have two final questions for you. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything in a different way? So this is, that's, I love this question. This is actually something I defer to on a regular basis. When I lose focus of what's important, when I feel anxious or 
like life is spinning out of control or the ground is shaky beneath my feet, I always defer to this question, if this was my last day, if this was it, what would you do, Steph? And that that brings clarity to everything because I would go outside. (laughs) The first thing I would do is get myself into nature. I would go outside and be with nature and be with the sky and be with the earth and be with the sun and the leaves. And I would do that with my favorite people, friends, family, community, strangers. I would be outside. So doing things in a different way. Yes, I have to remind myself each day. You know, I used to be really good at getting outside and spending a lot of time, but as I get... um, I've had quite a few books on the go lately, so uh, sometimes I can get a little a little stuck in my desk, and I will remind myself every day, go outside, go outside, smile at the sky, smile at yourself, smile at a stranger, go outside. What are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment? Oh, that I know for sure as of this moment. Nothing's guaranteed. Do the best with what you have. And no matter how long the day feels, life is short. And there will come a day when you wish you had more time. So whatever, however messy, just be present with what is going on because this is your life. It's life. And it's incredible. It's such a gift. Thank you so much for your presence, for sharing your wisdom and doing what you do. Thank you so much, Valeria. It was an absolute joy to be here practicing love in action with you. Take care. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Stephanie Rarishuk and her work, please visit stephanierarishuk.com and stephanierarishuk.ca. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.